Well, I want to begin this morning by saying to the moms here today, Happy Mother's Day. We are so thankful for each and every one of you, and uh, I know for many of you, uh, Mother's Day is a joyous celebration. Uh, as Andrea mentioned earlier, for, for some of you, it's a little bit tough. And uh, so um, my blessing to those of you who are here who are moms or serve in that role of a mom, perhaps you're a grandmother, um, or maybe, uh, who knows, you're an aunt or a big sister and you serve in the role of a mom, we're so thankful for each of you. And if you're here today and perhaps you've lost a child or a mom, uh, I lost my mom two years ago, and I understand that, and I understand that pain, and I'm praying for you, and I just want you to know that. But uh, it's a day to celebrate our moms. What would we do? Without our moms, we would be lost without you. And we're so incredibly thankful for each and every one of you. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm really glad that you're here today. Uh, we're in a brand new, well, we're not in a brand new series. We're week three. It's hardly brand new. It's almost old. All right. So we're in a series uh, called The Struggle is Real. And uh, we're taking a week-by-week, chapter-by-chapter look at the book of Ephesians, one of the, I think, one of the great books in the, in the New Testament. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 today, and we're going to be continuing on this journey that Paul was inspired by God's Holy Spirit to write. And uh, he wrote a message to the church in a place called Ephesus. And it's a letter, it is a message that is so incredibly applicable to us today. Perhaps today's message, more than any other one, is very applicable to the church in today's day and age, in 2017, and what we're facing. And uh, so we continue in this series, The Struggle is Real, taking a look at Ephesians and this letter that Paul wrote. And I want to remind you that he wrote it to strengthen the church That was the purpose of Ephesians is to strengthen the church or to strengthen each individual Christ follower through unifying beliefs and practices. And I won't spend too much time on this. If you haven't been with us these past few weeks, I want to encourage you to go back to last week and the week before, particularly week one where we discussed some of the background of the city of Ephesus and of this letter. Because the letter is broken up into two distinct parts and today we come to the end of the first part. Today we come to the end of chapter 3, and the the, the first three chapters are really meant to give doctrine or theology about what we as Christ followers believe. Paul detailed the the specifics of what we believe as Christ followers, and he he wrote this so that we would all be on the the kind of the same sheet of music in terms of uh, the gospel message. And, And he writes it for the purpose of preparing us for the last three chapters, four, five, and six, and that is is the mission of the gospel message. And so today we come to the end of the theology or the doctrine of the gospel. And the gospel, when I use that word, for those of you who don't know, it really is just a word that in the old language, the Greek language, means good news. And so when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, or when you hear that word, you might think that's an old-fashioned word. Yeah, it may be an old-fashioned word, but you know what? It is a word that we need to hear, because all we hear is bad news, isn't it? And we need some good news, and the gospel message is the best news that possibly could be heard. Al Mohler, who is the uh, president of Southern Theological Seminary, and you may have heard his name uh, there in, in public life. He's, uh, he's a blogger, a great theologian of today. He said this. He said, the gospel is simply the most transformative, the most powerful, and the most explosive message there is. 
the most transformative, the most powerful, the most explosive message that there is, the good news of Jesus, that God created the world, he created us, those of us who are humans in here, all right, we all are, and uh, he created us, he put the world into being, and in the Garden of Eden, at the very beginning, we decided to rebel against God, and we've been doing it ever since, and the good news, the gospel message is that he sent his son to die on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, that rebellion against God, and eternity in heaven one day when we die. Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. And so we are in this series where Paul is laying out what we believe about the gospel. And it's really interesting because he comes to this point in chapter 3 where he talks about the mystery of the gospel. We're going to look at it in a moment. He talks about the mystery of the gospel. Now, how many of you like a good mystery story? movie, book, whatever. I'm not going to ask how many of you read and how many of you, you know, like movies instead. But we all like a good mystery, don't we? And the interesting thing, and I think the beauty of a good mystery is when the mystery begins to get revealed early on and all of a sudden the author kind of pulls back from revealing the mystery. And then he goes again very close to revealing it and then he pulls back from the mystery. And in many ways, what's gone on in human history since the beginning of time is God is beginning to kind of unwind the gospel message, even in the Old Testament. And the relationship that God had with his people, the Jewish people, was a covenant relationship. It was a special uh, relationship that was for those people. But even in the Old Testament, we see the kind of unraveling or unpacking of the, that gospel message where it's not intended just for the Jewish people, but also for the world. In particular, we see it with um, Jonah as he begins to take the gospel message. doesn't really want to, but he begins because God told him to take it to a people who didn't believe the way that God's people believed. And so the mystery of the gospel be begins to come unwrapped even in the Old Testament and more so here in the New Testament, but just incredibly poignantly here in chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus. And so we get a glimpse of the story throughout the whole story, but we really understand it here. So let's dive in. Let's take a look. And we're going to take a look at chapter three in two parts. So far, every chapter we've broken up into two different parts. And we're going to be taking a look at verses one through 13, and then we'll switch over to 14 through the end of the chapter through verse 21. Let's take a look as we read verses one through 13 this morning. This is Paul. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, I want to stop there for a moment because we can kind of skip over this, but there is so much here. This is probably one of the, the greatest transitional verses in all of Ephesians. He says, for this reason, and anytime you come to a point in scripture where you see therefore or for this reason, 
or because of, something like that. You need to pause and take a look at what has just been said or what has just been written because that's the reason it's been written. He says, for this reason, and he says it twice in chapter 3. He says, for this reason. Now, just as a way of just a very quick review, what he's doing is he's referring to the first two chapters, the first two things that he's written. He says, for this reason, for everything I've talked about so far, and just as a way of summary, um, in Ephesians 1, we essentially said that God has made himself known to us, allowing us to be made known to him. That the gospel message is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He is not distant. He's not a God that is far away. He's not a God that we can't talk. He's not a God that we can't pour our heart out with. He's a God that's personal. And he's revealed himself to us. He's made known himself to us. And so therefore, we can make ourselves known to him. And then we come to the second chapter of Ephesians. And Paul does the unthinkable in that day and age. He says that the gospel message was not just intended for one race of people. That the gospel message was intended to bring all of us together in peace and in unity. And where we in human history have tried and tried and tried to solve the problem with the differences between races and tribes and peoples, peoples and groups. And we've tried and tried and tried and we've had treaty after treaty after treaty. And we fail every time. The only possible solution is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that will bring all of us together in unity and in peace. And so Paul, with that in mind, as that as, of the, as the backdrop, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then Paul launches into verses 2 through 21. Now, here's the deal. This is a little bit like someone um, opening, uh, opening up like a conversation with you with a startling fact, and they just kind of like glaze over it, and they get to the main point. And you're kind of like, wait, 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 wait. Hang on, wait a minute. Hold on just a second. Did you just tell me that you're in jail? Did you just tell me that you've been taken captive? This is kind of like, um, we probably all have done this a time or two. This is a little bit like the college kid that comes home and, and you know, says, hey, you know, mom and dad, you know, man, I, I, I got in trouble and I, I've been expelled, uh, you know, but I'm having a good social life and things are going really well in soccer and my car's running great and let's talk about life. And mom and dad are like, wait, 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 what did, what did, what did you just say? Hang on just a second. You got expelled from college? We need to talk about this. But Paul doesn't mean to breeze over it. He doesn't mean to miss it, but it is something that kind of catches the attention of the reader. Like, wait a minute, he's in prison, and there are two things that he says here that are incredibly important. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner, what's that next word? For Christ. Jesus, and on behalf of you Gentiles. You see, the reason that Paul was arrested 
after his third missionary journey, he goes to Jerusalem and he brings a Gentile into the Jewish temple. And that gets him in severe trouble with the Jews. Because the Romans were the civil rulers of that day, they were the ones that arrested him. And long story short, he ends up in a Roman prison. He's there writing this letter now to the church in Ephesus. And he ends up writing several different prison epistles. That, uh, he writes a letter called Colossians and Philippians. We studied Philippians a few years ago. He also writes a, a personal letter to a man by the name of Philemon. And, and he grabs, he's, he's actually in this Roman prison. He's under house arrest. He's allowed a little bit of freedom there in the prison. And, and he sends for a messenger. A messenger's allowed to come in and receive this letter that we have today. A guy by the name of Tychius. We'll call him Tick. Okay, so Tick comes in and Tick takes this letter back to the church in Ephesus and delivers this. And as they're reading this, they're probably shocked. But Paul's essentially saying the reason that I'm in prison is because I have brought the gospel message to people like you, Gentiles, unbelievers, atheists, agnostics, people who don't believe, people who don't want to believe, people who are going against the grain of the values of God. I've brought the gospel message for you. Essentially, Paul is saying, this is why I'm in prison. But Paul's, listen, I want you to capture this. Paul is not bemoaning this fact at all. In fact, there, there are some people that believe that um, Rome was a city of four million people in that day and age. And Paul thought it's something of God that he ended up being in a Roman prison where he would have the opportunity now to bring the gospel to the greatest at that point in time city in the world for the gospel to be furthered. And so he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of of you Gentiles. Okay, I promise I'm not going to spend that much time on every verse. Don't be worried. Okay, I'll get you out in time. Verse 2, assuming, assume, it's just such an important verse. Assuming that you have heard, he says, of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. is essentially saying that God has stewarded me with the opportunity and the purpose of, of spreading this good news. It was given to me for you. There he comes back and he says, for you. Or, and he uh, repeats that on behalf of you. How the, say that next word with me, mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, he says. When you read this in verse 4, he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, there's mentioned the second time, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body as God's people grafted in, if you will, to the family of God, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Remember when he mentioned saints there, he's not talking about saints in the, the sense that we may think of as uh, like a saint that's like just below God and the angels. That's not it at all. That doesn't exist. He's talking about Christians, other Christians who have gone before he says that I am the lowest, or I, I am, uh, uh, to me, I am the very least, he says, of the saints. This grace was given to me 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is the second time that Paul's made mention of the riches that we have when we accept Christ as our Savior. It says to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for, say that next word with me, for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Right here, he's talking about demonic forces. And we're going to get back to this theme in chapter 6. Todd Cooper is going to lead you through that passage um, where, where he talks about putting on the full armor of God. But he ties it in here that there is a spiritual war that's going on in terms of the gospel message and in terms of, of it being spread, that there is a war that we can't see. He talks about the authorities that are hidden. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul is giving a message to the church And he's saying the fact that I'm in prison is a part of God's sovereign plan. My suffering for the gospel is a part of his plan. And, And essentially he goes back to the previous passage where he specifically talks about the Gentiles and the Jews. And he unpacks it a little bit more. And essentially what he says is that the extent of the gospel, the gospel's reach is all people. That's the mystery of the gospel. That's what Paul, by God's Holy Spirit, is is revealing to Paul. And that's what Paul is revealing to the church there in Ephesus is what he's revealing to us today is that there was no one who was beyond the reach of the gospel message. That the extent is far and wide. And if we were to stop there, we would just repeat what we talked about last week. But there's more to the story. More to the story is the fact that you and I have a mission. And not only is the extent of the gospel's reach all people, but the mission of God's people is to share that message with all people. Listen, I want you to hear this today. You may think that you have neighbors or coworkers or friends or even family members that would never trust Jesus to be their savior. And I want to let you know today that God is a bigger God than that. That he is not a God of just the possible, but he is a God of the impossible. He's a God of the one who you think can't possibly believe, perhaps because of their values, their lifestyle, or their unbelief, or their life decisions, or the things that they've done. There is no one No one that's beyond the reach of the gospel. So our mission is to share it with everyone. And I admit that there are times that I go into a situation with someone who I think is going to reject, and I think they're going to reject, so I go in powerless when the power of the gospel is there all 
the time. Because God is a God of all people. Why in the world does Paul talk about his suffering? He draws attention to his suffering, not for personal gain. He's not doing it to prop himself up. He said it's for your glory. He's talking about the glory of the church, but he's also talking about the glory of God. He refers to his prison time and his suffering essentially so that God would get the ultimate glory, but he refers to it so the believers would not be discouraged that he's in prison. He essentially is saying there's a greater purpose. There's a greater purpose. And I think it's really interesting that Paul is doing this at this point in time. It was about 62 AD. It was about 62 years into the first century. And eight years later, persecution would begin to happen among Christians. It was remarkable. It was unbelievable. And he was preparing them for what would come. He's strengthening them. He's trying to build them up in their walk with God so that they can be strong to be able to fight the battle that's coming. And so when we say the struggle is real, we're talking about a spiritual struggle and a physical struggle that would happen in the not-too-distant future. So the second part of this is Paul praying a prayer. He prays three prayers in this letter Essentially, he writes three prayers. And so Paul begins to to pray this prayer. Um, He he prays this prayer because he knows that the expanse of the gospel message into worlds where people don't believe is a dangerous prospect. It still is today. I want you to know that there are millions of people. I want you to think about this. this is a sobering fact in a very full room on Mother's Day in our Western world. I want you to think about this fact. There are people suffering in other countries because they're meeting in secret for the sake of the gospel. There are people who are being persecuted all across the world because they have chosen to believe and they've chosen to access the power of God and they're facing danger today for the sake of the gospel. We have it good, don't we? We don't need to feel guilty about that, church but we certainly need to take advantage of every opportunity that God has given us in the freedom that may be short-lived that we have here in this Western world. Am I right? We have an opportunity, and so Paul begins to pray this prayer. He's, he's kind of running down this path of, of, of kind of screaming towards this explanation of what this all means, and he begins that in chapter 4 and, and the why behind the what, and, and he's doing that, but he, he transitions Uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, what we believe towards what our mission is in 4, 5, and 6 with this powerful prayer. I want you to read this, this prayer for strength in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 for this reason. Oh, what power is in this prayer. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. I can picture him there in that Roman prison, maybe with a little cot, some kind of place to rest his head at night. Maybe water, maybe not. On his knees, probably with a dirt floor, maybe rocks, maybe even cutting his knees up a little bit. Praying for these people in Ephesus. Praying for us. And he says, I bow my knees before the Father 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in what? In love. He's talking about agape love there, the God kind of love. May have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, man, what a prayer that is, isn't it? I've got that underlined in my Bible. I've got it highlighted because that's a powerful prayer. And then he ends with this benediction. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever." And ever, amen. And Paul gives this prayer, he prays this prayer to God, and, and, and he understood that the suffering that would come upon these people who chose to be Christ followers, he knew that they soon would be persecuted for their suffering, and he understood that there would be times of peace, but there would be times of suffering, and he's telling a group of Christians in a, in a, a large city that had great influence around the world that was already strong in their faith, make sure that you're strong enough. Make sure that your strength, listen, Christ follower, comes from the power of God in you, not from within you. There's a difference. There's a difference. There's a difference. And so many times we're encouraged, even by churches and pastors, to, to find the power within us. It's not the power within us. It's the power of God within us that can allow us to stand and to be bold. See, his, the, his desire, Paul's desire for the church in Ephesus was that they would be strong enough to face the coming persecution. And it wasn't eight years later that the persecution in Jerusalem came and then it expanded from there. Paul understood the persecution. Listen, listen, Christ follower. He understood the persecution because he was the chief persecutor, wasn't he? Before God got a hold of his life. He knew better than anyone else what was coming. And I got to tell you, we are blind and we are far, far too trusting to think that we won't face it. So Paul's prayer is a prayer for power and for boldness and endurance that is found from God alone. Back in um, science, you and I learned maybe in I don't know, fifth grade, maybe sixth grade, we learned about um, energy, right? And there's kinetic energy, and there's, what's the other kind? Potential energy. Next week, we talk about kinetic energy, energy in motion. Paul is saying to 
us have that potential energy. Seek out your heart. Dig deep into the word of God and into your journey with him and find that power that you're going to need for the coming day. Because on your own, you won't be able to stand. So he's asking the church, he's praying for the church to be able to build up potential energy. It's one of the very few things I remember from fifth grade science, all right? I paid attention that day. <laughs> it helped me today for some reason. And what Paul is talking about here is giving us, the Christ follower, the plan for potential spiritual energy to face what's coming. In church, we're naive if we think that it won't come our way. We do live in a free, peaceful Western culture. But there could be a day, and there is a day that will be coming, whether it's in our generation, in my generation, or the next generation, where our freedom will be boldly taken away from us. And so my challenge and the bottom line for today is that all of us would find the power of God to share his message publicly by resting in his love and his grace privately. Our ability to be able to stand against the persecution that's coming is going to be measured only, listen, only, only by the amount of time that we spend privately. Not just learning about the Savior, but getting to know him. Getting to know him. Learning his word. Memorizing his statutes, living by his values, not the world's. And so when we rest in his love and his grace in our private time, then when it's time to stand for the gospel message, this great mystery that's so dangerous because it's going into places and into worlds where they don't believe, then we will have the power of God to be able to tap into to stand strong. And that's Paul's message for this first century church. And I believe it's his message for this century's church as well. That there's a day coming that we will need to stand. So I hope that you and I would find his power, that we would spend time with him to share his message publicly by resting in his love and his grace privately. If you would bow your head in prayer with me this morning. God, I just pray for those Christ followers who are in here today. And they've been trying to find their source of power from themselves and from other sources other than you. And God, I'm, I'm willing to admit here today that there have been times that I have not looked to you. I have not looked to your Holy Spirit for the power to be bold and to walk right into the danger that we face as Christ followers when we have an opportunity to spread your word. And God, I pray that you would help each one of us here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, those of us who are already strong, that we would walk in that strength, that we would continue in that strength, that we would keep on in our private life 
seeking you and seeking your word and asking for your Holy Spirit to fill us with strength and power to face the coming day. But God, I pray for those who are in here today. And God, um, they're not quite tapping into your power for, for abundant life. God, I pray that um, they would begin, even right now, even today on Mother's Day 2017, to begin to access the power of you that's already in their lives. If you're here today and you're a Christ follower and you'd say, man, I, I'm going to admit that I um, have been looking in a lot of different places to find strength, to find spiritual strength for the struggle of life. And um, I've been looking to a lot of other sources other than God. If you would be so bold today with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're a Christ follower, and you'd say, man, Todd, would you just pray for me? I need to access that power of God. If you would be so bold as to raise your hand right now and just say, would you pray for me? Would you just do that for a moment? Awesome. Keep your hands up for a moment. I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. Just being honest enough to say, God, I need to access your power. Just keep your hands up for a moment. Anyone else? God, I just thank you for the honesty that's in this room. God, I've had my hands up at times too. God, I pray that every single day, these who have their hands up and that are admitting that they're weak and sometimes they don't look to you for strength, God, that they would look to you in their private moments with you, that they would have times with you where they grow in their faith walk and they learn more about you and they get to know you better. God, help them to be strengthened in their journey with you. Help them to be able to have the power of your Holy Spirit on their side, God, so that they can stand strong. You can put your hands down. And I just want to pray for those who might be in here today in the sound of my voice who have never put their faith in you. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, oh man, what a great, what a great day to make the decision to say yes to Jesus. And all the things that we've been talking about this morning, all come back to that gospel message of God choosing to give up his only son to save the world. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. So if you're here today and you want to accept Jesus as your savior, maybe you've come close before in believing, but you've never made that decision. Um, maybe you've just chosen to walk away um, when you had an opportunity to before. I want to give you the opportunity right now to believe. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's just a very short, very simple prayer. And I'm going to invite you to pray it to God the best way you know how in your heart to him, just silently. It goes like this. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. And today, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm far from you. And today, I receive that good news of Jesus dying for my sins. And I receive Jesus as my Savior. I believe in you, Jesus. 
if you prayed that little prayer with me again with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just lift up your hand so I can pray for you? I won't embarrass you, I promise. Just lift up your hand if you would. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Anyone else? God, I thank you for those who have their hands raised. God, who have accepted you as their savior. God, I thank you for that decision. The best decision they've ever made. The only eternal decision that they will ever make. I thank you for that. If you prayed that prayer along with me, even if you didn't raise your hand, you can put your hands down now. Um, If you would, I want to encourage you to fill out the bottom of that card that's attached to your worship folder. Let me know about your decision so we can follow up with you. And God, we just thank you so much for all that you're doing in the life of this church. God, we thank you for what you're doing in the course of human history. And God, we thank you for the message of Ephesians that we can have power for that struggle. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.